Hello, friends. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. Thanks for spending this time with me right now. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Kirsten, and I'm a part of the pastoral team here at Living Waters. I wanted to start today by talking about story. I love a good story. I'm sure you probably do too. One of my favorite things that we do here at Living Waters is to listen to each other's stories. We do this in life groups. Uh, I've been in life groups where we've shared, everyone has shared their stories and it's helped us to get to know each other so much. That's actually what our newcomers life groups do because it's such a powerful way to begin to be known and to know people in our community. Here on Church at Home, we've listened to a lot of people's stories. We've listened to global workers. We've listened to healthcare workers. We've listened to the stories of people being baptized or of mothers and fathers dedicating their children. We've listened to the stories of moms. We've listened to the stories of dads. Part of our value of authenticity is that we believe that story matters, honest story. We believe that your story matters, not just the story you have lived, but the story that you're in the midst of right now. I suspect that each of us frames our story in our own way, whether we've ever shared it with a group of people or not. Without even thinking about it, we make sense of the life we're living. We might instinctively break the world into bad guys and good guys. We might have a persistent image of who we are in our story. Maybe we're the hero. Maybe we're the victim. Maybe sometimes we're the villain. Or maybe it changes by the day. What are the challenges in the story you're living? What are the victories you're hoping for? Where are you going? Who are the friends who are helping you in your journey? Or is this a season where you feel particularly alone? And where is God in your story? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during World War II who lived his own compelling story. If you've never looked him up, you should. He's fascinating. He wrote a little book about Christian community called Life Together. And in it, he says something that I think about often. He says that what we call our life, our troubles, and our guilt is by no means the whole of reality. Our life, our need, our guilt, and our deliverance are there in the scriptures. Because it pleased God to act for us there, it is only there that we will be helped. Only in the holy scriptures do we get to know our own story. I've wrestled with this because, wow, what's happening in my day-to-day -day life sure feels like the whole of reality. And what's happening in the Bible can seem pretty distant from what I'm living. My default is for me to make my own life experience front and center. And then I wonder how God fits in. Bonhoeffer is saying here that we need to flip the order around. We begin with God's story. And when we do, we gain a clearer, a truer picture of what is happening in our own. 
I've found that this is often what the Holy Spirit is doing when I read the Bible. My picture, my understanding of my life is being reframed. I'm gaining a clearer picture of where I'm going. I'm gaining a clearer picture of who I'm going with. I gain a clearer picture of who I am in the story. And more than anything else, I begin to see God more clearly and how my life fits into His story. We're on a journey this fall through the Psalms, and today we are reading Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is written for the follower of God who is experiencing a time of trouble. This is a psalm we pull out and read when we feel like everything is falling apart in the world, when challenges seem overwhelming, and we begin to wonder if the forces of evil and brokenness in the world are indeed going to win. It's a good read when it's all going wrong. Some of you might have read this one a few times when the pandemic first shut everything down. I know I did. And I know I pulled it back out again to read it a few months later in 2020, when my daughter was in children's hospital waiting for a cancerous tumor to be removed. I'd argue that it's still a good read today. Life can feel pretty difficult these days. I'd suggest that the power in this psalm is in its capacity to reshape the way we're reading our own story, to allow the Holy Spirit to show us our current life situation from a different perspective. In particular, I'd suggest that there is one question for us to really hold in our hearts and minds as we explore it today. Where is God in my story? Let's hold on to that question as I begin by reading our text for today, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's army is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. There's a lot of crazy imagery here, but don't worry, I was an English major. 
And to help us to make sense of the story being told here, I'm going to break the psalm down into its four main characters, if you will. The kingdoms of the world, the city of God, God himself, and God's people. So let's start by looking at the kingdoms of the world. Now, when I'm talking about the kingdoms of this world, I'm talking about the powers in our world who would stand in opposition or defiance of God. Most of the chaotic imagery in this text is surrounding the world and its kingdoms. And the point being made with all the imagery is that when God shows up, there is no power struggle between him and the kingdoms of the world. God immediately wins. We as human beings might experience the kingdoms of the world as being overwhelmingly powerful. I know I do sometimes when I read the news. We might feel it so much that it could be tempting to think that these forces are going to win. But the picture that we get in this psalm is of their impermanence. Their tempor- how temporary they are, and of their fragility. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble, we read in verse 6. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. We are being shown here what happens to the kingdoms of this world when God shows up in judgment. And what happens? You'll notice that there's a lot of out of control water in this psalm. In the ancient world, this would have been an image of chaos. When confronted with the presence of God, the kingdoms of this world fall into chaos and their power and their strength melt away. God doesn't even have to act to make this happen. All he has to do is speak and the earth itself melts. These worldly kingdoms are thrown into sharp contrast with the city of God. You'll notice when I read the psalm, there's really an abrupt shift when we move from verses 3 to verse 4. And I think that's intentional. Because we're meant to hold the chaos and fragility of the kingdoms of the world with the enduring peace and strength of the city of God. Verses four and five describe a city that cannot be destroyed because God dwells in it. This city is a place of safety because he always protects it. It's his home. And in this city, there is still water, but it's not destructive like the swirling waters in verses two and three. Instead, it's a river that brings joy. This river is mentioned a few times in the Bible, once in Ezekiel, for example but it is probably most beautifully described in the end of Revelation, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. This permanent dwelling of God is a place of solidity, of safety, and of peace, and of healing. 
And it is this place that will one day be our home, where, as Revelation 21 tells us, he will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. This is the city of God. This image of the city of God is beautiful, but the true center of this psalm is the central character, who is God himself. The reason why the city of God is a place of solidity, safety, peace, and healing is because God is there. But the psalm spends most of its time describing who God is to us in the midst of the chaos and brokenness of this world. This psalm gives us four pictures of God who is for us in the midst of trouble, three of which are in the very first verse. First, he is described as our refuge. A refuge is the place where we can run and know that we are protected and safe. Second, he is described as our strength. The name for God that is used in this verse and much of the rest of the psalm is Elohim, and this name means might and strength. Here, though, he is not just strong. God is our strength. He knows that we aren't able to withstand the troubles that we face on our own. So he is strong for us. I find this incredibly comforting. Third, he is an ever-present help in trouble. And I read such a great description the other day of what this means. Um, here it is. He is a very present help in trouble. He is not just a help somewhere to be found. He's a present help. Now this means this. When you pray, it's not like the siren going off at the firehouse and the firemen jump down the pole. They quickly get dressed. They turn on their siren and they roar to wherever the difficulty is. The psalm is saying that when we pray, we pray to one who is already present, already active, already involved. And finally, both verse 7 and 11 describe God as our fortress. My kids and I studied medieval history a few years ago, and we had so much fun reading about castles, how they were designed with moats, and they have those really narrow windows like slits which allow arrows to go out, but they don't allow arrows to come in. These were fortresses designed to be places of safety when the enemy attacked. And notice the R. God is our fortress. His intention is to keep us safe. This is so much his intention, in fact, that it says in the same verse that he fights for us. The psalmist shows us that we are safe with God through these images. And he underlines this by reminding us of who God has been for his people. In verses 7, 8, and 11, the psalmist switches from using the name Elohim for God, which you'll remember means mighty and strong, to using the name Yahweh, 
Yahweh is the name that reminds the Jewish people that this is the God who has made covenant with them, promises. He has promised to be their God and to keep them as his people. The use of the name Yahweh would remind the people that this isn't just any God who is promised to be their fortress, their strength, their ever-present help. It's their God. It's our God the one that they and we have history with. In verse eight, when the Jews are told to see the glorious works of the Lord, what they're being told to do is to look back and remember who God has been for them. Now, for the Jewish people, the greatest story that they would remember is the story of Exodus that can be found in the book of Exodus. You have probably heard this story, how God's people cried out to him when they were enslaved in Egypt under a cruel Pharaoh. God's servant Moses came and told Pharaoh to let his people go. And when he refused, what ensued was essentially a demonstration of what we read in this psalm, that when the powers of this world fight the one true God, they melt away like wax and dissolve into utter chaos because that's what happens to Egypt in this story. In the end, Pharaoh is so beaten down that he allows the Jews to go. But just when they're about to leave Egypt on the shore of the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind and races after them with his army of chariots. This is, for the Jewish people, one of these times of trouble. The chariots of Pharaoh's army are racing towards them and they are backed up against the Red Sea. They are no, there is no escape and they are convinced they're going to die. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And the Lord does. He places himself as a pillar of fire between his people and Pharaoh's army and tells Moses to part the waters of the Red Sea to lead his people to freedom and safety. God's people are saved, and Pharaoh's army drowns as the waters of the sea crash back into place. God's people are called to remember who he has been, the God who wins the battle every time, the God who has fought for them again and again, the God who has been their refuge and strength every time they have come to him. Come and see the glorious works of the Lord, the psalmist says in verse 8. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is an image of God putting to an end to the endless wars of humanity and bringing about peace. The image it brings to my mind is one that anyone who's watched a group of kids can relate to. 
Sometimes, when a group of kids hangs out for a long time together, things begin to go bad. Perhaps slightly reminiscent of the novel The Lord of the Flies. Eventually, there comes a time when someone is getting ganged up on, someone's getting hurt, or maybe property is getting damaged. It's time for a parent to come and say, enough. That's what God is doing here. God has entered the scene to bring peace, to make things right. Because that's what our God ultimately always does. But what, in the end, is God's word for us, his people, in this psalm? Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. We can often make this verse about having silence in our life, seeking to listen to the still, small voice of God. We can make it about prayer. I know I have, and it's good and right in our devotional life to be still for long enough to sense the presence of God. That's important. But that's not primarily what God is talking about here. When you read Israel's history, you see them responding to trouble in all sorts of ways. You see them running to worship false gods, making unhealthy alliances in deals with the great nations around them. You see them slipping into rebellion and sin because they are afraid, because they have forgotten. They have forgotten who Yahweh really is. They've forgotten about his power, his authority. They've forgotten their history, where every time they've trusted him, their Yahweh has come through for them. God's word for them here is finally be still and know that he is the ultimate power in the world, even if it doesn't look like it right now. He is the one in the end to be honored by every nation, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is God rising to his full height and saying, don't forget who I am. Don't forget who is on your side. And whatever you do, don't make the mistake of thinking that I am not active in the world. Don't be deceived or tempted to run off to the kingdoms and gods of this world. No, be still and know that I am God. And remember, that you don't have to fear, because as long as you are with me, you are completely safe. Where is God in your story? Who is God in your story? Is he strong enough to protect you? What is he saying to you today? How is he reframing your story? What is he showing you about himself? We need a picture of God 
big enough to live for. I need a picture of God big enough to live for. I need to see Jesus clearly, that he is strong and good enough to be trusted. If you found this morning that your picture of God is too small, if you found that you're finding trust in him difficult, I'd encourage you to live in Psalm 46 for a while. Read it out loud or sing it. That is, after all, how the Psalms were meant to be experienced. They were meant to be read over and over again, to be recited in public worship, because we need to be reminded again and again that our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help will be found in Him. Join me as we worship Him.